Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Uh, that's where we're going to begin this morning. Romans 12. That's in the New Testament. The Bible is divided into two different sections, Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament is also called the Hebrew Bible. And it tells the story of God's interaction with humanity before Christ, before Jesus. What, how, what kind of relationship did humanity have with God? And the New Testament tells uh, the story of Jesus, but it also tells the story of once Jesus is resurrected, that's what we believe as Christians, that Jesus, uh, he died, but he came back to life. Yes, we actually believe that. And he now is in heaven, sitting at the right hand of Father God, who created everything, and that he ministers to us through his Holy Spirit and through one another. And so we, the church, that's what the New Testament tells a story of. It tells a story of the church. And, and what the church is, is this: it's a group of people. It's a gathering of people scattered all throughout the world uh, who are attempting to understand what God's intentions are for them and for the world around them and live into his kingdom vision. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. This is a... This is a, um, a uh, uh, a book that's, ri- or really it's a letter that's written to the church in Rome by a guy named Paul. So if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, that's kind of a little bit of a background of where we're going to be. Now, we're continuing, as you know, we got this nice slide up here. We're continuing our discipleship series this morning called The Way of the Disciple. And what we're doing right now, I don't know if you, how many of you guys were here last week? Just by like a show of hands. Okay, a good amount of you. Um, last week, we began what I call a series within a series. It's like Inception. It's like a dream within a dream. This is a series within a series. And the series within a series is, yeah, we're talking about discipleship, but specifically for over three weeks, this is the second week, we're talking about how do you change? How do you change? How do you change your life? How do you change? So that's what we're talking about. Um, we're going to answer that question today, hopefully, or at least get closer to it. So stand to your feet for the reading of the scripture. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse one. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Paul speaking to the church in Rome, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, notice that we're family, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and grab a seat. I want to begin by giving you some examples of conversations I've had with people over the past month since starting the discipleship series. I had a conversation with a young woman who had such overwhelming thoughts, such mental tension, that she felt she had no control over her mind, and she basically got to the point of mental exhaustion. 
I talked to another woman who received a, a destiny word over her life. This is who God sees you as. This is where you're going. These are his intentions for your life. And right after that word, she entered the worst season of her life, the most difficult year of her life. I spoke to a man who got breakthrough with a character problem only to fall back into it again a month later. And if any of that feels familiar to you, if that's how your discipleship sounds or, or feels to you, I want to make a declaration from the very beginning of this gathering. By the power of the Spirit who resurrected Jesus from the dead, you can completely change today. Did you, did you come to church thinking that you could change? Did you, I, sometimes I don't. I come to church just because that's my habit. <laughs> that's what I do. But I want to say this, that because of the, the it says this in the scriptures, the, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. If resurrection is not, if, is not impossible, then nothing is impossible. And you can change today completely. You can get completely free. There's no personality that you came in here with. There's no childhood that you had or trauma that you've experienced or habit that cannot be completely and totally redeemed by the power of God. Do you believe that? Okay. But how? How? Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I've tried to change. I know, you know, the standard of Christ, and then I know myself. And the gap is so large. And I've tried to change. I've tried to be more loving. I've tried to be more self-sacrificial. I've tried to think better thoughts about that person. But change is really hard. Okay, I want to give you the secret to discipleship. And really, I've never do this, ever. I'd never show my cards at the beginning. I want to give you the thesis for my sermon this morning. So here, look up at the screen. Here, here's the secret to discipleship, and here is my thesis this morning. Simply put, we are in bondage when we believe lies. We are set free when we believe truth. Maybe just read that with me. We are in bondage when we believe lies. We are set free when we believe truth. That is so simple, and it's so true. My behavior reveals my feelings. My feelings reveal my fear. My fear reveals my beliefs. I can't change how I feel, but I can change what I believe, which changes everything else. Change for the disciple begins with stewarding the mind, changing what you allow to be believed. That's pretty good. You should have your phone out, taking notes, Ari, maybe take a picture of that. Like, what Paul is saying is this, is he's saying you want to change. You want to get transformed? You need to give your life so, to so totally to God, so totally to Jesus. You have no other option. You have no other pursuit. You give it so much so to God that even your thinking begins to change. And if your thinking begins to change, then your beliefs will change. If your beliefs begin to change, then your fears are going to change. If your fears change, your feelings will change. And if your feelings change, your behavior will change. So often, and this is the way of the world, this is the conformity to the pattern of the world. It's like you got a problem in life with your behavior, let's address the behavior. And God is like, no, no, no. There's a belief behind a fear, behind a lie that you've developed that impacts how you feel, and then you live out of how you feel. That's why you do what you do. So Paul's like, you need a renewed mind. Now, what is that? What is a renewed mind? This is what I want to speak on this morning. Simply put, a renewed mind is the mind that thinks about life the way that Jesus thinks about life. 
Just write that down. That's so simple. What is a renewed mind? If you ever read that in the scriptures, you think about having the mind of Christ. What that means is it is a mind that thinks about the world the way that Jesus thinks about the world, that thinks about yourself the way that Jesus thinks about yourself or the people around you. You know, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, you guys remember, he gives them this insight. He says, I want you to pray that what is happening in heaven would happen on earth. In a phrase, he says, on earth, pray on earth as it is in heaven. What an incredible phrase. One of the most amazing things ever uttered. Now, this is more than just a little tagline for Jesus and his people. This is a life direction. I believe that Jesus, he's doing discipleship with his disciples. He's teaching them how to think. He's teaching them how to live. And he's like, here's the direction of your life. You are to live from heaven to earth. You are not to live from earth to earth. You're not to live, certainly, from earth to heaven. You are to live from heaven to earth. You're to think from heaven to earth. You're not supposed to take the things of this world and project them onto heaven as though that's normative, you are to find out what's in the mind of God and you are to apply that reality here. See, one of the biggest problems for every Christian, and this is, you know, guys, there, there is no shame on this. This is something, hopefully I can normalize some things today. The, one of the biggest problems for every Christian is that you thought earthly for your whole life And then you got saved and you received the Holy Spirit and suddenly you were in mental tension. Why? Because you had a new spirit who's telling you a new truth about the world and you have never thought that before. You've only ever thought earthly stuff. You had earthly solutions to earthly problems. But then you got saved and suddenly there's a heavenly solution and you're going, which solution do I use? So you're in mental tension. And discipleship is learning how to take that heavenly solution, that heavenly thought, and apply it to earth. Why? Because Jesus taught his disciples, it's on earth as it is in heaven. That's your direction. I remember when this began for me, I, I, I became a Christian. So many things began to change in my life. My thinking began to change about so many things. I had love for people that I used to hate. I, I, I no longer had any enemies because I was praying for all of them. That's the, the secret of praying for your enemies. They, they cease to be enemies if you pray for them. Because then you're, here's what you're doing. You are on their breakthrough as well. You're going for their victory as well. You're getting on their side as well. And you're saying, I'm going to position myself for their benefit. So I can't be an enemy because I'm on their team now. So all this began to change. It was incredible. It was incredible. I had self-control that I never had before. But, but, I still had all these earthly ways of thinking. And I remember I met Andoni. I always like, I like to pick on Andoni because he's such an honorable guy anyways, and, and he's an incredible guy. He's one of our elders around here. Um, I met Andoni, I don't know, six, seven years ago or something like that. And uh, I remember meeting him. Was it longer than that? It was probably like seven years ago, I think. Seven I remember meeting him, and I just, God told me, he's like, you need to meet with this guy. So I began to meet with him. We met, you know, at your apartment uh, coffee shop, like 6 a.m. once a week. Um, And here's what it was. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to take you through the book of John, Alex. I really need to disciple you. I knew I needed to be discipled by him, but but he's like, it wasn't like I'm going to take you through this book or I'm going to do this. He just began to challenge my thinking. We would talk. We'd talk about stuff that was going on in my life. We'd talk about, you know, I was a youth pastor at the time. We'd talk about youth ministry. We'd talk about, you know, my family. We'd talk about the way that I saw myself. And he would just, he would just sit there and he would just be like, why do you think that? That's an Andoni thing. Why do you think that? And I'm like, uh, I mean, isn't that obvious? He's like, it's not obvious. I don't think that's the way God thinks about it. He's challenging my thinking because this is what discipleship is. So much of it comes down to the mind. 
thinking saved, this is what we're talking about, thinking saved or thinking renewed is thinking about God, about the world, and about yourself in a way that is congruent with how he thinks about those things. And notice what Paul's doing. Paul is pitting two different possibilities uh, against each other, and this is the tension within the disciple. Paul says, says this, you get a renewed mind, you think renewed, and you're going to get transformed. You change your thinking, you are going to uh, live very, very differently. You're going to become the Imago Dei that you were always designed to be. You're going to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Because, why? The renewed mind trusts God in his way, more than it trusts your own way. More on that later. Now, that's the renewed path, but the other path is this. He says, you know, the other option is that you get conformed to the patterns of this world. And here is how that happens. I feel like God gave me a little bit of insight into this this week. Here's how, here's how conformity happens. Every human across every culture experiences unheavenly earthly stuff. Every human, all of us sitting in this room today, we experience unheavenly, earthly stuff. And I'll just boil it down to two things, fear and pain. Every single human experiences fear and they experience pain. And the world all looks the same in every culture. It all looks the same because every society has acceptable forms of coping with the fear and with the pain. And here's where conformity comes from. When everyone is medicating their fear and pain with the tiny luxuries of life, with food or sex or clothing or uh, material goods or experiences, when everybody is doing that, they begin to look the same. What happens is they then begin to need to control their environment in order to get the, the cope that they need. They need to intimidate or bully or manipulate the people around them in order to get the hit that they need to deal with the fear and with the pain. And so you look at the world and you're like, why is it so hellish? Because they've been conformed to medicating instead of getting free. You've been conformed to medicating all of your problems, all of your fear and all of your pain, instead of actually going to the one who could make you really free. And then what happens is when you're in that spot, when you're in that conformed spot, then these people, or you, me, I don't know, anybody, any of us in this room, we apply our reality and our limitations that we experience in this life to God, and we don't see through a heaven filter, we see through an earth filter. That's what happens. And Paul is like, you're not supposed to be average. Don't be conformed. Don't just medicate the pain and the fear. Bring it to God and get your mind transformed. You are supposed to be more than a conqueror. So here, here, here's his message. Give up your perceptions. Stop making decisions based on what you think is best. And throw yourself on him. Then you will get a renewed mind. What is that? That is, that's this. That's according to God, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, die. All of the ways that you've made decisions in the past, all of your perceptions about what the good life is and how you attain it, give it over to him and you'll get your mind renewed. See, how you get your mind renewed is by winning the battle between truth and your perception. Truth and your perception. These are often not the same thing. It's perception. 
think back to um, Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, if you know the story. Eve is presented. There's a serpent in the garden. The serpent says, you should eat this fruit. And if you eat this fruit, it's going to do wonders for your life. And it says in Genesis chapter 3 that Eve perceived the fruit to be good for gaining wisdom. She perceived the fruit to be beneficial beyond what God had said. She was wrong. She thought, Eve saw the fruit, and she thought that it would medicate some lack that she perceived that she had. She was incorrect. It led to the conforming of the human race. The beginning of, of, of being conformed was right there in Genesis chapter 3. But what I want you to see is that Abraham... Another story in Genesis, a few chapters later, did the opposite. Turn to the left in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15. I want to show you the story of Abraham because what he does here, I believe, defines how you get a renewed mind. Genesis 15. Abraham, uh, as some of you will know, is a man who's just simply responded to God's voice. Why did God pick Abraham? I don't know. Maybe God actually had spoken to other people before Genesis chapter 12. Maybe he had invited other people into partnership with him, and they just didn't listen. Abraham listened to God. In fact, he became obedient to God. He trusted God, and it began this trust relationship that really becomes the, you know, it says in, this, in the New Testament that we are children of Abraham. There's a reason for that. We continue the trust relationship that Abraham began back here in, the, in, in Genesis. Now, what we see is that God makes a promise to Abraham right here in chapter 15, and it is an audacious promise. So look down in your Bibles, uh, Genesis 15, verse 1 says this, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me, since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? Wah, wah, wah. You don't want that. Verse 3, and Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Now, some of you know the story. Abraham is old. His reality is that he cannot have kids, period. He's never had kids up to this point. It's been like 100 years. And this being the case, because he has no children, there's no future for his family. All of his wealth, everything that he's developed in, his, in this life will be given to a servant within his house. Bummer. Verse 4 says this, though. Watch what happens. Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. What? He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Now, God comes along and he says, yeah, 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 I, I know you're like 100 years old. I know that you've never had kids before, but I'm going to give you a child. In fact, go and look at the stars. That's how many kids you're going to have. More than the stars, right? Now, I have to think about this. Abraham's like, Haha, okay. Because he's lived an entire life watching all of his friends raise children and watching their children raise children, and at his age, maybe even watching their children's children, children raise children or whatever. And you have to imagine he's had a tinge of jealousy through his whole life. 
He's seen other people with their children and what it's meant for their, you know, property and for their land and what it's, with the kind of uh, life that it's brought into their homes. You have to imagine all of the sleepless nights that perhaps he's had with his uh, wife consoling her after the latest miscarriage, promising her, it's going to be okay. You have to imagine the tension. And here he is. All his experience up to this point has told him, you're not the kind of guy who, have ki- who has kids. You're not the kind of couple who have children. But he's presented in this moment with a choice to upend everything that life has taught him. What will he believe? What will he believe? And here's what I, I call this reality one, reality two. Because reality one is this. Reality one is his circumstance. It's the very sensible you know, uh, conclusion that somebody in his position would come to. I'm old, so no kids. <laughs> It's the accumulated experience of being childless for 100 years. That's reality one. But then God comes and he says, here's reality two. And reality two is this. It's God's proposed reality that you will have kids. So which would you believe? Reality one, what all of your life has told you, or God's reality? I'm going to do the exact opposite of what you think is possible in this life. Which would you believe to be true? Now, watch what happens for Abraham. Look down at your Bibles, verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is the first time we see the word righteousness show up in the Scripture. What is the definition of righteousness? It is believing God's reality even over and against your own reality. It is making a choice. I will trust you and what you say even more than what I think is sensible. Even more than what I think is normal. Abraham believes reality too, and it's righteousness. That's what it looks like. It is righteous to believe God over your own perception of life. And here's what I want to say. Abraham begins to think saved here. He's thinking saved. The conformed mind, it only takes into account all the impossibilities of life. But the path of the renewed mind is agreeing with what God says, regardless of what your experience has come to call normal. He isn't projecting on God his earthly reality like, "Ah, I'm not sure you understand what it's been like for the past hundred years. I'm not sure you understand what it's like, uh, you know, the sleepless nights. I don't know. I'm not sure that you understand that we are old and we're not having any children. No, he's not, he's not thinking earth to heaven. He's thinking heaven to earth. I'll believe you. I'll believe you. Now, I would guess that many of you, you know, as I, as I talk about this, I would guess that many of you have actually done this before. In fact, if you're, if you're saved, if you are a Christian, this is, what it, this, is, this is how you get saved. You believe God, even over and against all, you've used all sorts of things to try to get uh, salvation in this life, to try to get justification for your life, to try to find a reason for your life. And finally, when you become a Christian, you finally admit, I have no other options and I need you. And you think the way that God thinks about yourself and your world. And you begin to think renewed. Now, here's my real question this morning. So many of you have probably done that before. Here's my real question this morning. How do you maintain that level of belief? How do you maintain it? Because because this is difficult, guys. How do you have the truth of God challenged in your life, in your mind, 
and still choose to believe him. Because I, want, I, would, I would love it. If I could stand up here and say, you want the key to discipleship? It's easy. You just do this. No. It is difficult. There are some things that come easy. There are some breakthroughs that come easy. Things get broken off of you in a moment of prayer. And it's incredible. I love that. I love when that happens. But there's another type of discipleship that's process. And it is a whole life, it's 20, 30 years of choosing to believe something that's difficult to believe because your whole circumstance is telling you otherwise and God is telling you, no, 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 it's not like that, it's like this. This is the nitty-gritty of discipleship. It's maintaining the renewed mind. Now, here's what I want to do. You know, I had a bunch of ideas of what I would do with this sermon today, but I want to equip you. I don't want you to come to church and be like, those are good ideas. I want you to leave empowered. I want you to walk out of this building and think, test me, devil. Try me. I have a whole new set of truth. I have a whole new resolve. And I will choose to believe God even when you're throwing lies at me. Okay? So this is what we're going to do. I want to give you, and I don't do this, three keys That's so cheesy. I want to give you, I'll just call them things. I want to give you three things, three methods for maintaining the renewed mind. Maintaining the renewed mind. And all those, you know, all those examples I gave earlier of conversations I've had, this is, if I could sit down with each of those people and be like, this is what you need, I'm giving it to you guys in a sermon blast. Okay, so here, here it is. Firstly, Fighting demonic lies with truth confession. What's the first method? And it, look, and maybe this, so some of you, some of you charismatics in the room, you're like, spiritual warfare, let's go. I love this stuff. Some of you, you're like, that sounds hard. It can be challenging, okay? When Jesus is asked, at one time, at one point, Jesus is asked this. He's like, what is the work of God? And you know what? He doesn't answer. He doesn't say it's caring for the homeless or it's, um, you know, to serve people or it's to write discipleship curriculum or it's to pray. He doesn't say any of those things. He says the work of God is to believe him. Now, maybe I've read that before and I thought, is that work? Uh, Yeah. If you've ever tried, that's work. (laughs) That is work. Rehearsing God's reality every day is how you renew your mind, and yes, it is work. So the doctor calls you with bad news. Someone that you, you deeply love and, and who is an integral part of your life passes away. Yet again, you see some societal issue tearing your friends apart. You continue to see lack in your character. And suddenly, as a Christian, you are presented with two realities— You're presented with the reality of your circumstance or you're presented with God's reality. God, you call me more than a conqueror. You say that that you're good and you're not going to use this circumstance to punish me. You say that I have the same spirit that was in Jesus and, and I can do what you did. You even say that resurrection is possible. And so you're in this tension. What do I believe? It's like, it's like, that was really bad news from the doctor. But you say that healing's possible. I can't, what am I going to do without them? But you say that you'll put me in a family because I'm lonely. And you have these tensions back and forth. And, and here's what it is. Maintaining the renewed mind is making that choice. Okay, I'm going to, even right now, I'll choose to believe your reality over mine. And that act is righteousness. That act is part of submitting your life to God. Now, I want to make two things clear. This is possible. Some of you in the room, you need to hear, it is possible to think differently. You, in a year from now, you could have a completely different mental life than the life that you have right now. But uh, the second thing that I want to say is that this is hard. 
Let me just describe like a typical week, how a typical week could go for me. And I'll just be really transparent. So I guess you can judge me if you want to, but God will probably judge you for that. Okay, so <laughs> here's a typical week. Here, uh, and I, I, here is what a week could look like. I wouldn't say typical. This is like, this happens, but not all the time. I, I, I get done from, uh, I, I get home from preaching, from being here on a Sunday, and I am on a high. Because I have just experienced the presence of God together. I've watched people worship. I have had communion. I've heard from the scriptures. God has spoken to me. It's been amazing. It's been amazing. I come home, and I'm on a high, but I'm tired. I'm tired. And, and by the way, this is the most relaxing part of my day right now. I'm going to go home, and that's where the real work is going to begin. I promise you that. So I'm going to be tired, and likely there will be some situation, whether it's a work situation or whether it's a home situation or whether it's a cultural situation, that will annoy me, and it will poke me, and it will hurt, and it will make me scared, and it will make me want to control. And so looking for comfort at that point, I will likely turn to food or TV. I'll watch a lot of TV. I'll eat a lot of food. And I will go numb to God. I will begin to spiral in my thoughts. I will begin to think very unheavenly thoughts about redeemed and sanctified people around me. (laughs) I will think, you know, the real problem is that woman that you gave to me, right? Just Just like Adam. And I will think, everybody else around me is the problem, not me. And I will even know in that moment, you know, let's say Wednesday comes around, I'll even think to myself, you know, I know what's true, and I know that I need to just go to you, but I just don't feel like it. Why? Because of neuroplasticity. Here's why. Because the more earthly thinking I do, the more I have created grooves in my brain that become the paths of least resistance for me when I face pain to just instantly go there. When I face fear to just go there. I have a five-lane highway that goes to self-medicating when I go through fear and pain, and I have a tiny little hiking trail that goes to the heart of God. So I have to choose. It's like, what's the work of God? The work of God is taking the hiking trail. It's saying, I'm actually going to create a new pathway so that when I go through pain and I go through difficulty, the path of least resistance is to your throne. Oh, amazing. Some of you older believers in the room, you've done this over years. You have created a five-lane highway to the presence of God and a hiking trail to self-medication. So how do I hack through, how do, I, how do we begin to hack through the underbrush of that hiking trail? And close the freeway. I need a mental filter. You need a mental filter that says, I will not tolerate any thought in my mind that God does not have in his mind. That's your resolve. I will not tolerate any thought in my mind that God doesn't have in his mind. And you know what happens is you get, you get tired. You, you, know, you come home from a day of work. You experience some level of fear or pain or some situation happens. And you go, oh, it's happening. See, you weren't aware of it before, but now you're going, oh, it's happening. Okay, what I need to do now is I need to think saved. I need to think saved. So I am not going to tolerate thoughts in my mind. No, the problem is not them, Lord. 
They are not the problem. God, would you search me and know me? You're not looking at the things that man looks at. You're looking at the heart, so search me. I'll submit myself to you. And you do that over and over and over again. Now, Paul says that this is like war. What you're about to do, you guys, did you know this is boot camp? You are about to be sent out into war. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Make no mistake, the enemy wants to speak to you, and the enemy probably does speak to you. And he wants to demonically influence you and create strongholds. What's a stronghold? A stronghold is a place where he can be in your life and he can be comfortable. There's no opposition. There's no opposition to that way of thinking. There's no opposition to that, you know, to, to that place in your heart. So on the contrary, Paul says, we actually have divine power to demolish strongholds. And here's what he says. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought. Everybody say every thought. To make it obedient to Christ. This is war language. This is war language. And notice what he's saying. He's saying it's the gospel. It's your identity in Christ. It is righteousness. That there is a banner over all of your life that says this is a righteous person. It's the Holy Spirit's power that enables us to rip apart the deception, the accusation, the temptation of the enemy. Or in this verse's language, the arguments and the pretensions of the demonic. Make no mistake, the primary battlefield of spiritual warfare is your mind. And so his language is visceral. It's violent. It's demolished. Take captive. It's, it's war. So here's what I want to tell you this morning. You need to get intense. You need to get intense. Because you have been tolerating lies in your life. You've been tolerating deception. You've been tolerating accusation from the enemy. And you've just been living with it, calling it normal. It is not normal for the believer. So you need to get intense and go, I will not tolerate it any longer. And as you do this over and over, you build a path, a new path in your brain, okay? Look, I'm not without compassion. This is difficult to do, but a life of lies is even harder on your soul. The, 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 the undisciplined life is even more difficult. So two tools to help you, okay? I want to give you something very practical. Uh, is Justin or Beth or Chad in the room? Beth? Okay, anybody else? I saw Chad earlier. Where did he go? Somebody needs to get Chad into this room, okay? Oh, is he in the bathroom? Okay, he's been there for a while then. Um, he's going to like, I don't know. I think he'll like that. That'll be funny for him. Um, okay, Beth, raise your hand. Actually, Beth, would you mind standing up? I know this is probably the, you hate this so much. Just stand for a moment. Beth, Justin, and Chad have started a ministry called More. So, Beth, I'm going to just, this is on the spot. Can you be available if people want to talk to you afterwards about More? Okay, great. You can sit down. Um, so Beth, uh, Justin, our, our prayer team deacon, and Chad have started this ministry called More that is dedicated to helping people get free from lies, essentially. There's, there's other things they do, but they do something called Freedom Prayer. It is free. You don't have to pay for it. You just need to schedule a time with them. You can schedule, I'm sure, with Beth, or she can point you in the right direction on how to do that. Um, but you basically can go to them and be like, here's the problems I'm having. Here's the unrenewed thoughts I'm having. And they will sit with you, they will pray with you, and they will ask God on your behalf, what do you say about them? So that you have corresponding truth to the specific lies that you have believed. How amazing. We've needed this for a long time. We finally have it. Now, I know they're very busy and booked. So get in, get in line. Get on the list. If you are here this morning and you're going, yeah, I just can't stop thinking that, this is for you. Go and do it. 
Um, I also want to give you another tool. Here's another tool, and this is just a quick thing you can take a picture of. Here are some declarations that are rooted in Scripture. So uh, there's obviously the Scripture, memorizing Scripture is one of the best ways that you can renew your mind. So memorize Scripture. We also just have, uh, one of the things that we like to do is attach simple phrases or sentences that kind of sum up what the Scripture is saying, okay? So uh, for example, Ephesians 1 verse 1, I am a saint. That's who I am. And you actually have scripture that you're able to declare. You know, what it says in, this, in, in the Bible is it says that if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Just resist him and he'll flee from you. Okay, so here's ways to resist him, right? You can say, I've been adopted into God's family. You're trying to tell me, Satan, that I have no place, that I have no purpose, and that God will never do anything with my life. Oh, sorry, I'm a saint. It says it in Ephesians 1 verse 1. I've been adopted into God's family. It just says that further on in Ephesians chapter 1. I am redeemed and fully forgiven for all time. For all time. No matter what happens in my life, what I do, what you know, mistake I make, I am still forgiven, period. It's over my whole life. Incredible stuff. I'm a citizen of heaven. That's what it says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. So I actually have, I'm like an ambassador. I have the ability of heaven within me, and I can actually see that happen in, my, in the world around me. So, so write this down. Take a photo, whatever you have to do. And I would encourage you, put it on, a, on your mirror in the bathroom or in your car or something like that, and rehearse the truth to renew your mind. Okay, we got to keep going because I am running out of time. Secondly, Secondly, pay attention to your feelings. Here's the second tool in, re- in maintaining a renewed mind. Pay attention to your feelings. You know, I've found that asking God where he is at, you know, sometimes you're like, you go through a situation, you go, God, where were you? Or where are you in this? I've found that that is less productive than asking him, God, where am I? Where am I at with this? And I, I know that, you know, God doesn't look at what man looks at. He's looking at my heart so I can be honest with him about my feelings and about where I'm really at. The renewed mind begins with honesty. Here's what I'm really feeling. Here's where I'm really at. This is really who I am. This is how I feel, God. And being honest with yourself. So many of us, we lie to ourselves. And so we actually get, we, we get good at lying because we lie to ourselves so much. We don't want to face that issue that we really need to face. We don't want to face the tension that we have with the parent that we have or the person that we have. We don't want to face the problems in our life. And so we deny it and we lie about it to ourselves. And we find that this is what will happen. If you lie to yourself, you will find that you, that's one of the quickest ways to being conformed. This is from uh, the Brothers Karamazov. This is um, one of the uh, characters in the book. He's an Orthodox um, father. And here's what he says. I I think this is so profound. He says, above all, don't lie to yourself. The man who lies to himself and listens to his own lie comes to such a pass that he cannot distinguish the truth within him or around him and so loses all respect for himself and for others. And having no respect, he ceases to love. And in order to occupy and distract himself without love, he gives way to passions and coarse pleasures and sinks to bestiality in his vices, all from continual lying to other men and to himself. What, what is that? That's becoming, we talked about this, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, that's becoming like an animal. Becoming like an animal just through lying to yourself. So I want my heart checked. I want my feelings inspected. And this requires intention. In fact, I had a, um, I'll just give you another example. I'll, I'll just, I'm just going to bear myself, so to speak, and all of my problems. Um, not all of them, just some of them. Um, 
this, this was an encounter I had this past week, and I began to do this. Like, what, what am I feeling about this, and, and why, do I, why am I feeling this? So, here, so here's what happened. I, I ran into another pastor in uh, Newburgh, and I don't know him very well. Um, I've never spent much time with him, but I know he's another pastor, and we kind of engage in a, a certain level of small talk. Okay? I um, leave that uh, encounter, and I'm walking away, and here's my, th- my thinking. I, I kind of was like, I noticed my behavior. I'm like, Alex, why were you so skittish around him? Why were you skittish around him? That's kind of weird. And so I began to ask, ask why? Well, why are you skittish? Oh, I am skittish around him because I think I'm competing with him. And so I can't tell him the truth of how I'm actually doing because I'm in competition with him. So that entire encounter was just lies. He probably was lying to me. And I was lying to him. Why am I lying to him? Because I think I'm unimportant. This is all in my mind as I'm, as I'm you know, this is what I'm thinking about, your pastor. I'm, I'm going, I think I'm unimportant, and I think that I would feel better if I had more attention or was somehow better than him. So you know what I do? I go, wow, that's not great to look at. He's like, I wish you hadn't told me that. What I do is I recognize the lie. What's the lie? The lie is that I get my significance through other people's thoughts instead of the truth that God has said about me, that I'm wonderfully designed, that he's actually given me a mission here and it's unique, it's different than that other pastor, and that what he has for me to do is just as important as any other pastor in the entire United States and the entire world. He's given me a mission. That's the truth. And so then I repent. (laughs) I repent. I say, God, you know, you are my creator. You made me with my abilities and also with my limitations. I don't have the same abilities as him, and he doesn't have the same abilities as me. Praise be to God that we play different roles in the body of Christ. And so I'll submit myself to your hand, and I will trust that you will give me what I need to be successful in your eyes, and not in the eyes of my church or in the eyes of this other pastor. Freedom. See, what you will find, guys, is that your feelings are often reactionary to the situations around you or the demonic voices in your life. And so renewing your mind is that pursuit of, I want to respond to you rather than react to people. I want to respond to you rather than react to people. So be honest with your reactions and watch how you begin to respond to him. Okay, last tool, I promise. Last tool is this. It's living in thanks. It's living in thanks. You know, in his letter to the Church of Rome, uh, in the beginning of Romans, chapter 1, Paul lays out the pathway to rejection of God and to sin. Some of you are like, are we going back to the sexuality series? No. It eventually goes there. But here's here's what he says. He says this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave what? Thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. I had never seen this before, but people who don't thank God, their thinking is affected. If you don't thank him, your thinking is going to be futile. In, in Greek, it's pointless. It's aimless. It's without direction. In other words, their thinking stopped functioning and their world got dark because they didn't give thanks to God. This is the power of thanksgiving. Your ability to give thanks to God in every situation, to find something that you can thank him for, no matter what's going on, that ability will renew your mind. It will change the way that you think. You're like, that's so simple, I know. But if you practice thanksgiving, if you wake up every day and you're gonna, you say, I'm gonna think of two things I'm thankful for today. 
promise you, your mind is more renewed that day than it was the day before. So how do you fight the good fight of the mind? Thanksgiving. With taking hold of truth. With being honest about how you feel. That's how your mind gets renewed. That's how you maintain the renewed mind. So I want to say this all together as we end. Let's say this all together as a declaration. In fact, let's stand up and let's say this together. This is our declaration this morning from the truth. I am in bondage when I believe lies. I am set free when I believe truth. My behavior reveals my feelings. My feelings reveal my fear. My fear reveals my beliefs. I can't change how I feel, but I can change what I believe, which changes everything else. So I will declare the truth, be honest about my feelings, and thank you, Father, of all that is good. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.